Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Guys, I did not say it during the episode today, but, but, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, make a post on social. It goes a really long way. If you're new to the podcast, what I'm trying to do over here is build this thing up as big as I fucking can so I can go make another movie or at least get connected with everybody in the movie world. I made a movie in Boston. I think it was the best independent film made in 2021 in all of New England, if not the country. And um, I am scrapping my fucking way into this damn industry. We're going to do it. I just need your love. I just need your support. And I promise in return, I'm going to come through with great interviews and great content for you guys. Um, Just fucking just turn back the pages of time here. I've done everything I said I was going to do. And I'm still going to do everything I say I'm going to do. I just need your love, brother. You have no idea how big it is to have social numbers up over here to get better guests. So, like, if you follow us, our social number goes up, right? You guys get great content. In return, when that number goes up, I can go pitch to agencies and be like, dude, let's get so-and-so on the show. Look how big our show is. That's kind of how it works. Um, Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I had a guy on the podcast yesterday named Johan Lennox, Massachusetts native, and I'm pretty fucking pumped about that, bro, because it was a... It was a a different situation for me in terms of personality. Like, I mean, Johan's an artist artist. I have never, I've only had Boston artists on the show. So like, it was really good to talk to an artist artist. And I think the conversation was super stimulating. And I think we kind of, we hit a wave there at the end. He's a good dude, man. It's fucking smart, smart guy. Went to Yale and um, I really liked his project. And um, it's hard out of Massachusetts to become a successful artist. And he is, he's in the mainstream industry. Like he's a, he's a worker. I can already tell he's a hustler. And um, we talked about a lot of shit. Hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going back to the East coast for a few days, but I feel like we're hitting a good fucking stride here with the show. Let me know if you guys think the same and um, I'll love. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Enter, just, you forgot to enter. You good? Yeah, yeah. Wait. Just give me a hand up and I'll double clap just in case we have another power surge. And just like that, we're caught in the simulation. Holy shit. Welcome, brother. That was crazy. Before I introduce our guests, let's announce who's in the room. Starting to my left, camera right. Fire. But not just a producer. A mi- Very, L- very LA. Armand, okay. thank you, brother. You got that down, man. Four episodes later, you've been on it. Serious operation. Um, and I'm Connor Hallway. And this is the Golden Hours Podcast. Thank you for anyone who tunes in. And I'm joined by a Massachusetts native. Yeah. But more recently, last five, six years, LA, correct? Correct. Johan Lennox. And and to be honest with you, bro, like I've never really had a someone on the show who I've been like really excited about a full project. Oh. And I don't mean to sound like Zane Lowe, but the project is dope. Thanks a lot, man. For sure. I appreciate it. It's uh 
lot of time and energy that went into it. Can you uh, just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do before we start? Yes. Uh, I'm Johan Lennox. Um, I grew up doing classical composing for orchestras around Boston and then around the country and like in high school and then in college. And then I got into like Kanye West music basically and decided I wanted to try doing something in that world. Uh, and I've just been trying to figure out what my version of that sort of just maximalistic sound is, I guess, for the past few years. And along the way, I've produced for a bunch of different people and worked with Kanye and worked with a lot of big rap and pop type people. And um, I'm on tour right now opening for 070 Shake, who's also from that world. And we just have, we've done like 15 cities. I did two headline shows along the way and now mm -hmm. got four nights in L.A. this week. Now, in Massachusetts growing up, how do you, like, get into those, like, big symphonies? Were you just, like, playing at school and then Boston right. Symphony Orchestra was like, hey, dude, you want to come and play with I us? wish. I mean, that was sort of my dream at the time. Like, I definitely really wanted uh, that to happen. I still would like that to happen. And I kind of think it will happen because of the way I'm doing it now is, like, a little bit the, the sort of the roundabout way I'm going, I think, makes sense for that. Which I can explain in depth if you want, but Please. yeah, but uh, but to answer your question, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in Winchester, Massachusetts, and there was a a place called the Winchester Community Music School, which was like ten blocks from my house, which is just like you could take piano lessons, and they had a guy doing composing. So I initially was trying to do piano, and I didn't like being told what to play. <laughs> I like making stuff up so my parents were like trying to figure out how to help me and they're like well maybe if you did like composing lessons or something like that's because I wanted to be like the next John Williams or something like that was, I'm kind of going around in circles a little bit here I'm trying to think I mean the very first thing that kind of happened was that I got my dad gifted me like a, the soundtrack to the third Indiana Jones movie after we had really enjoyed the like Indiana Jones show at disney world oh really yeah i think he was just like i don't know i just saw it and was just like i was obsessed it's amazing with the show. score though yeah i still is one of my favorite things i mean it's like film music is pretty different from classical music in in a lot of ways but in some ways it's similar and so that got me into just wanting to write for orchestras uh and i think that was kind of so they were trying to help me and i got these lessons at the school and then quickly became too ambitious for what that school could help me with although it was a good start and then uh, moved to New England Conservatory, which offered, it's like in Boston, it's like the classical music. Where is best. that? Um, it's on like Huntington and like. Okay. like right near Northeastern kind of. Exactly, yeah, it's like a block from yeah. Northeastern, yeah, and, and from Symphony Hall and all that. So yeah, um, St. Batolph Street, for some reason I remember that pretty well, it's like the side <laughs> street. And uh, yeah, so, um, so I spent the last few years of high school going there on Saturdays while still doing public high school and just kind of doing my classical thing on the side, you know, and just mm -hmm. becoming more and more ambitious. And then during the summers going to Tanglewood, uh, which is in Western Massachusetts. And that was like another sort of just where I met a lot of these other students that also wanted to be like classical, you know, just a summer camp, musical summer camp. More or less. I mean, yeah, like it's, it's sort of like selective, I guess. Like it's like, I didn't get in the first time I applied, but like eventually I got in and kind of, uh, you know, it's supposed to be for like the best, you know, best young classical. Ones. A little bit. I mean, it's kind of the vibe around all of like younger classical musicians, just kind of like you're the future of classical music. And it's just like 
I think they give you this sense that it's really gonna that it's what you're doing really matters to the culture that we're in and that you know you're like holding it down for the culture and like I think the reality is that uh that is not the case and this is a very niche interest that is like kind of has like a bit of an overblown sense of importance I think sometimes but I really care about that music and it's my goal with my life to like make that music a big part of our culture because I want it to be what I thought it was going to be and I just think a lot of things about it need to change for that to happen and that's sort of how I ended up here which is you know part of the path I'm trying to take to eventually what would the pinnacle be of someone who just wants to rise in the orchestra world yeah be the pops or like um i've actually done stuff with the boston pops but the uh but no i mean they they would say the pops is kind of like the that's sort of like the i don't know what the polite way to say this is it's kind of like the the that's like classical light kind of it's not the real shit you know what i mean the real shit is like the boston symphony plays it's the same orchestra more or less but like during the year they play like the classics like Mahler and beethoven and all that shit and they do play contemporary music as well by composers who like my friend ellen reed was just there and had them premiere a piece of hers and like basically they play your music and probably give you a check to write it you know hopefully uh, a year before and you get a year and you write it and then you show up and take a big bow at the end and that's pretty much it and you know and then hopefully if it goes well another orchestra plays it too and i mean you wouldn't know the names of any of these people but sort of like the more most like foremost people in that world or maybe like john adams is this dude who they play a lot out here and uh uh philip glass you might know maybe not so much philip glass is sort of like more from the 70s 80s like kind of trippy like minimalistic stuff but you know he's like done some film score stuff too but the classical people would say it's just like the film score stuff is like a side thing which happens to pay way more but it's not what's like the super bowl for like orchestral like what's their their big event that's a funny and good question uh I mean, the best orchestras are like the Boston Symphony, the New York Philharmonic, the, I don't know. Is, LA is the Philharmonic what Whiplash was? Is that what that dude was trying out for? He was trying to do jazz. The vibe is very similar, I think. I think jazz in some way is like even worse off in terms of just like, like if you, if you kind of make it to the top of classical as a composer, like you actually can make decent money. I don't know that the same is true for jazz. I think all the way up, it's just a fucking slog. You know? it's like, <laughs> I think the audience is like even smaller. I mean, like classical music at least benefits from just like a large amount of like rich white people that like see it as like this sort of standard of culture that they're willing to like just throw money at to like feel cool, I guess. But there's no I don't way, know that jazz really has that to the same extent. I won't speak for you, but there's no way like when we're old white people, we're going to be like, dude, we got to go hit the symphony. I agree. But also, uh, I've met the people who are the people who are going to be that. And so I, it's okay. like, yeah, it's like people who work in like finance and shit, like real, like rich, <laughs> just boring ass people. I've met, like I, I've done some events where like the purpose of the, the thing was like, we did Kanye music with an orchestra and our goal was to reach kids with that. I can go into this further, but I'm saying, Please, yeah. but the, but the orchestra that we, you know, the, the, the like organizations we did this with, they're interested in doing it because they can invite their like 29 year old hedge fund manager kids who they're trying to cultivate as like future donors and stuff. And they'll come because it's like Kanye and stuff, but they also sort of like, you know what I mean? I don't know. So it's like, I've actually like read a the, passage almost like, it, yeah. I mean, they're just kind of like, yeah, they're just, just turning into like boring old, especially in New York, but they exist in like every, or I mean, there's also, I would say like people who used to play classical music and then end up going to work at a much more lucrative profession, but still care about classical. Like yeah. they sometimes help pay for it. And, but it'll be like, like audience, a one-off though. event kind of, right? What's up? It'll be like a one-off event once a year, like a, a huge 
collaborative orchestral. I mean, they have a season. Like, you can go to the L.A. Philharmonic. Like, they play, you know, probably, it's probably like 40 concerts a year or something like that. And there's just, yeah, it's a lot of old people. It's not only old people. It's some kind of, like, weird art-type-leaning people. I mean, but, yeah, it's definitely not... Like, I have conversations with people about that, and they're just kind of like, yeah, we're trying to reach, like, younger people, a.k.a., like, in their 30s and 40s, and I'm just like, oh, shit, okay, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> so it's definitely, yeah, definitely skews very old, and I don't know, I mean, pe people always say, like, yeah, eventually all those old people are going to die, and there's not going to be an audience left, and, like, I think that's been gradually happening for, like, 100 years, but it doesn't happen as fast as you think, like, somewhere along the line. Well, what people will be at turn 40 and 50 and decide they want to start going to the shit i don't really know how it works what will be nostalgia for like you and i when we're in a retirement home i mean obviously yeah your own music like yeah no i mean obviously i mean i think about that a lot i mean in terms of like what songs are people like are people still gonna listen to like eminem and shit and be like those are the days you know <laughs> if you get lit in the fucking retirement home yeah i mean i think some people i mean you already kind of see it i mean like led zeppelin and shit i think it was pretty just to pick a name at random, like that was pretty like aggressively, almost offensively outrageous music. I think to some people, some of it maybe and, I don't know. And do they still have a legacy? Like, yeah, audience? I think it's just listened to as just classic rock now. It just kind of doesn't sound that crazy to me. So maybe it, it maybe that just like once you have a, a a country where like even the oldest people in the country grew up on like Eminem and stuff. Yeah, we probably. I mean, well, just like my grandparents love Frank Sinatra. Yeah, like similar for you or. Um, yeah, I don't really know what my parents, I don't really like listen to music that much, but I think like there was some of that. I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, I don't, I don't really fucking know what they listen to, but I, I think like to an extent there is like, you know, I mean, they listen to like old Broadway scores and stuff like that, but I think either they aged into that or they just always liked that stuff. But I do think like there's like boomers who like listen to classic rock and that's what they listen to mm -hmm. now. And that's music that was like edgy at the time. And now it's just kind of what they, it's just sort of, you know, like yeah, the Rolling sure. Stones was like edgy and exciting at one point. Now it's just fucking, you know, nothing. What's, what's important to the culture, but it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's seen as pretty safe, I think, you know, so. You no, know it's crazy is we were talking about the Middle East with the, have you been to shows at the Middle East in Cambridge? Yeah. The Rolling Stones went through. Yeah, the yeah. They wild? played it. I I went to school in Connecticut too, and there's this place called Toads that. Uh, they, Toads. Yeah, and Toads yeah. has Rolling Toads Stones place. posters on it too. Really? So, yeah. I mean, it was a different time. I think you just kind of you play really every market. You could Snoop Dogg. I saw Snoop Dogg at Toads twice. Really? Which is kind of crazy because he's like a huge artist, but I just like I kind of wonder economically how that even makes sense for them to do that show. I mean, it's on the way from New York to Boston, so it's like it's clearly not out of the way. Ten thousand like, bucks for a little appearance. Toads is like gotta be at most like five hundred cap. Yeah, I mean, is that really worth it? But I don't. Who I fucking knows? We get the content, I guess, right? Maybe. Back then, who knows? No, I'm saying I saw Snoop Dogg like at just like you know a few years ago. Like, at oh really? Yeah, I'm not like yeah. I mean, no weird. I, I think I drank my first four loco ever, and I went to Toads. Yeah, that's great. I have a friend who's stocked up on four locos. He has like a couple, like he just still has a couple from the original recipe just in his closet really? waiting for like a, you know, somebody's bachelor party or something. Waiting to give someone a lethal dose. Yeah. Make you go blind. I assume it goes, I assume it gets harder as it ages, but. No, it ferments so. a little more, yeah. Yeah, he's sick. Now, did you always have the sauce growing up in terms of musical talent? Like, did you know this early on or was it genetic? Oh, man. Uh, I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, whatever. There's probably some genetic component to everything but i tend to be more of the view that just like it just was many years of working to mm -hmm. get there and obviously i was blessed with the opportunity to that my parents were able to be like yo you should get lessons at this and here we'll pay for it i mean that obviously makes a huge difference but 
and just the fact that we had a piano in our house i think was a big like i there was a few years at the beginning where i'm just messing around on the piano because it's there i don't know if that happens if but your parents didn't play instruments or i mean like in high school but not really no no they're not like in music um my brother played guitar a bit but no i mean it was definitely like they were just kind of like what is this kid on definitely for sure you know but it wasn't like immediate i mean it was definitely like it was a few years of getting decent at piano just by ear and sort of by just teaching myself and then there was a little bit of the lessons then there was the composition thing and then i got really ambitious with the composing stuff and like uh that but that also was like you know five years at least of just grinding before i kind of had made any headway and then maybe 10 before it was like really good at it and then by at that right at that point was kind of when I got into this and just took a huge left turn. It was just like, all right, fuck that. You know. Are you producing though? Are you doing garage band around this time? Not at all. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I never even touched, uh, I never did really any, maybe wrote a couple sort of like pop songs. They were like kind of Billy Joel type shit, but never like, yeah, I was never like making anything you could call current pop or hip hop music and didn't really have any interest in it. Didn't listen to any music like that. Uh, I was just very like under a rock doing my classical shit. I've been a bit of like Broadway, that type of stuff too. So yeah, it's basically like the the story, which is true, but I've told it so many times, it just feels like a fucking story now is that uh, I was at somebody's ha- house down the street from where I grew up um, and tripping on acid and heard my beautiful dark twisted fantasy for the first time. And it was just like, oh shit. And then uh, that that really inspired me. And I listened to that album a lot for the next year or two. And I was just, that was the first time I ever actively listened to like a current album by anyone. What song? Except for classical music. Well, it was the whole album, but I mean, Runaway was like sort of the big one. Dark Fantasy at the beginning. The ones that are sort of the most symphonic, you mm-hmm. know, Lost in the World, I think. Those three, I think, really. I love the interlude before. Dress. It's like my favorite. Yeah, album. I know. A lot of people always cite that one. I think that's the one where Mike Dean has his like big guitar solo on it mm-hmm. too, maybe. Uh, I liked the whole album. I mean, but it was just, it, it was more just the fact that the album was living on this kind of like symphonic scale. And like, the, I think in particular Runaway because of the way it starts with like a minute of just like unison piano, whole notes, like the, the bell kind of tone. And then the way it ends with him just war- warbling autotune over like cellos for like three minutes at the end. It's like that aspect of it felt very like, this is someone who's thinking about music the same way I do from a classical perspective, which is like, wh- how, what is the full composition? What is the most interesting journey I can take people on musically? And not just like, what's the verse, what's the chorus, and that's it kind of. So I think that the fact that he was able to do music that I thought was pretty weird in the ways that I like music to be weird and still reaching all these friends of mine and just normal people basically that aren't in a niche genre made me feel like that would be a good path forward for everything I want to do, including eventually like doing just classical music at the scale that I want, which is like, I even said at the time, I was like, I feel like this dude could just do operas and people would show up. And that's because that's the relationship he has sort of set up with his fans. That's essentially what it shows. And then he did actually do that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I think just it's Travis and a lot of artists, Kendrick, you know, at that level just want to do this sort of like it's beyond music. They want to do big, just spectacular, you know, transcendent, entertainment Mm -hmm. and i think that pretty much describes what like a symphonic concert is supposed to feel like and what it probably did feel like when it was more popular and now i'm just trying to figure out how i can kind of fix it and adjust the things that i don't think work about that format to make something that i think really could reach a lot of people and just have the impact that i want it to have 
Did he start doing the big shows during Dark Twisted Fantasy era, or was it later? He, I mean, that, you, you Jesus see, tour was crazy. Remember, he showed up like Jesus and shit. Yeah, that was probably the first one I think where it was like where it was just like big like theatrical set pieces and stuff. Which I mean, again, I come out of like I did like musical theater and stuff like so. I've always been intro, you know, into like just big stage big setups and stuff, and just like set design and just all encompassing productions. And I think opera does do that a bit pretty well, but. Yeah, I think it could be a lot harder, but um, yeah, I think that was maybe when the tour started in that. But I mean, you know, but even before that, he had like late orchestration, that thing oh, where yeah. he was doing something. Or I think he was just always thinking like, what is the most insane maximalistic shit I can do? And I think it's important sometimes as an artist to, if you do have a vision that's that big, you have to kind of figure out how to communicate it even before there's an audience for it. So it's like on this tour, I have like two violin players with duck hunter masks you know and they're in like a row they're like set up next to each other so it almost like evokes like and they have music stands so really you can start to see like oh if you had six more behind them and then it's, you know it looks the way it would look as an orchestra if i had the orchestra with me but it's just like i can afford that right now but i think that i'm trying to just hint at that already with the live show and just you know and the music videos played in order like a movie like they tell mm -hmm. a story that's continuous across the different videos and just trying to think in in a, in a big scale way, even before there's the money to really do that shit that I. Really that, that's what was beautiful about the album to me is it just felt streamlined all the way through and like you broke it up. I really do feel like Zane Lowe. Like you broke it up with like those two voicemails. One was, was one yep. your mom. One was. They're all my girlfriend. Okay, they were your girlfriend. Yeah, she was like you got to have Chester. some sort of intent. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. I mean, there's I think there's maybe like five or six on there. Some of them are really short. Like at the end of Get My Shit Together, she just says. Uh, what does she say at the end? It's something like it just feels like a cop out or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so that was a conscious choice. Maybe like, it's a, I don't know, aimless. I forget. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. So yeah, she has like there's like five or six. There's two couple really long ones towards the end. Actually, there's three really long ones. There's one after you up, and then there's one after don't be a loser, and there's one right before the end. And the, yeah, they just kind of tell a story of like. If you go back to my old EPs too, she's been on the last three EPs as well. And she's just always just stuff about like having to keep your head down and work and focus and just stay busy and like sort of keep your eyes on the goal and just, just all very like, like normal, like it's sort of a defensive, like being a normal adult who like does normal stuff and like, what does she hard. do? She works at uh, New Balance, which is another also from Boston. And his she's roommate from used to work at New Balance. Yeah, she's like, I think she. Well, she was like a designer for a while, and now she's like risen up to be like a product manager who like oversees designers and shit, which is like, it's fucking great. And she seems super happy. Um, and I get a lot of free sneakers, so that's nice. But, um, but you're living two different lives, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, and she also has to get up really early because, uh, you know, she still has to basically be on East Coast time for that, even though she lives out here. So it's like that could mean that there's a meeting at like 9 a.m. their time, which is 6 a.m. here. And then sometimes she has to be on meetings with like China and Vietnam and stuff, too. So like that, you know. So it's like two in the morning meetings, three in the morning. Yeah, occasionally. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, overall, like the album is me sort of like complaining about not wanting to grow up, complaining about the world, feeling like it's in chaos, which it is, and just sort of feeling like I don't know what I'm doing with my life and not really knowing how to like be a person basically. And, and so the feature vocals in a few instances respond to that. And I think her voicemail was really respond to that by saying kind of the opposite, which is kind of like, uh, like, you know, 
sometimes it's some version of like, well, I don't really have the luxury to, to like dick around and wonder what I'm doing with my life. I just have to like do it kind of so that sometimes they're saying that or sometimes it's just saying like, well, like good luck figuring it out. Like I'm over here just kind of grinding or doing my shit. And so I tried to just have it be like a conflict a little bit between because I didn't want the whole album to just be like pure apathy or whatever. And I think the message of the album ends up being like, well, you got to try, you know, or at least got to try to try, you know. And so that's what I think the voice memos are kind of saying. And it, yeah, that shit was ill to me. Like, um, it felt like you like we're giving an excuse my voice cracked, oh, okay. getting out of hand over here, man. Damn, we've, we've all been there. Damn Celtics, brother. <laughs> Gotta get some auto tune on this thing. Um, it felt like it was an honest reflection of like what it feels like approaching thirties and like having like this idea of where you were going to be at at a certain point yeah. and not happening, but still going for it. Am I right in saying yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hopefully applicable to people of like kind of all ages. Cause I think even if you're like 20, I think that there's a sense of just like, what am I doing with my life? Sometimes, you know, certainly if you're not in college and you're already working and you're just kind of, you know, or if you just finish college, that's a big thing. I think that happens when people finish college. They're just immediately just like, all right, what the fuck? Like, what do I do? I'm you know? out of the system now. What the fuck? But you're right. It definitely increases throughout your 20s. And I think, you know, but I also just kind of aware of the phenomenon. Like, I met a dude who's like 45 or something recently who just like plays Halo on live streams all day. And that's his job. And I was kind of oh, like. Oh, he's making bread doing that. I, it's, he's doing okay. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't remember if he's like rich off it, but he was definitely like. But it was, and I'm not like saying I don't think that's a valid path i think like any path is a valid path but certainly like i don't think we used to live in a world where like 40 year olds played halo for a living you know what i mean so it's like i just think like that um you know we live in a world where it's just really like a lot less certainty and a lot less like obvious benchmarks of just like what adulthood is supposed to look like and it can be confusing when your friend is like 23 and married or has a kid working at an accounting firm yeah or and then your other friend is like 30 and doesn't seem to be doing anything you know it's just like there's just no we're not all like marching in lockstep towards this like american dream like suburbia whatever mm -hmm. thing that i think not that that existed for everyone ever but you know but you I and i grew like, up in environments where that was like it seemed like that was yeah exactly it seemed it's a good point so it's, it's yeah exactly and i kind of say that on like hitting different and on get my shit together as well that like it felt like we knew what, like we were told a certain thing, I think. And then it's just the realization is like, there kind of isn't really anything. And it's like, maybe they didn't know what they were talking about. Maybe growing up always just sucks. Or maybe the world's like on fire. And I think the conclusion is it's probably somewhere in the middle of all three, but. I think yeah. I felt growing up that like, I really thought that my parents were like really spotless people and they had made no mistakes. Then I get to yeah. this age. I'm like, wow, they've been fucking up forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's, like, literally in the album. So a bunch of the lyrics, I think, speak to that, hopefully. And uh, I agree. And, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, I also think it, like, goes all the way up. Like, I remember reading a story about, like, just the first day in the Obama White House and, like, the people who worked for him just being like, yeah, we don't, like, know where the light switches are yet. It's just, you know, it's the first day. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, like not really a big deal it was just sort of trying to capture that feeling of just kind of like even then you get there you're the president and you're still just like okay we're, what uh, well, yeah what am i doing <laughs> like all right okay cool i think i got that i don't yeah. really know what that fuck that is but hopefully we'll figure it out and you just do your best and that 
I don't think there's any point you'll ever get to where you like know what's happening. And if it is, you probably are like a bit plateauing. So it's a it's it's good to not know what the fuck's going on. And I think, but you're right, it is it is it's definitely unnerving at the same time. So what age did you shift out here from Boston? Like twenty three, something like that. Okay. Yeah, so were you just feeling stagnant? Oh well, I mean, I went to college in Connecticut, and I lived in New York for like a year. Where'd you yeah. go? I went to Yale. Okay, word. Which is why I was at Toads. Because okay, like yeah, it was like Quinnipiac yeah. was right there too, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That was like one of the two. Those are the, but yeah. right, you're a smart Yale, guy. Yale, Yale I Quinnipiac. <laughs> well, I had a lot of friends that went to Quinnipiac too, but yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of good pizza, great hamburgers. New Haven. New Haven. I like New Haven. And then my girlfriend actually, we, I mean, we grew up together in Winchester, but. Like, didn't know each other super well. We just, like, we're different years and shit. And she's then, younger or older? She's two years younger than me. And then we uh, met up again because she had just moved to New Haven and I was leaving. And I was, and she was just like, oh, do you know anything good in New Haven? Like, you used to live there, right? Like, how you been? Whatever. Don't, go to, like, don't go to Toads. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think she needed to be told that, but, you know. I wonder if she ever did go to Toads. Don't ask. Don't ask. Yeah. You, you don't need to know, man. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh I think she was. Well, they, you ever go to Bar Pizza? That was that was the other spot that they kind of had like a club night, but they also would have like indie bands and stuff. And I think she was just trying to find like cool shows to go to. Bar Pizza. And I was just like, I don't. Yeah, that place is fantastic. Great pizza. Really fantastic. Where do you go out here for pizza? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think that there's a couple. I'm not the definitive expert on this, but I think if you want, what was that place I met you at? This place was kind of good. No bullshit. Yeah, Prime. Uh, Prime. I think is what it's called. Yeah. And they have one on Fairfax. Prime is decent, sort of like East Coast style pizza. It's a little like they're they're trying to do the like buy the slice pizza experience, but like they they can't like a real buy the slice pizza experience. You just ask for a slice and they hand you one like thirty seconds later at most, and they don't know how to do that, and no one in LA seems to know how to do that. So I think that's the thing that's missing from that you know versus like New York or something. Well, no, it's so weird. I got out here and people are like, "Yo, do you like your pizza Boston style?" I'm like, "Bro, I've never heard I don't of that know what the shit fuck in my that life." Is, yeah, probably. I mean, all New England style pizza, Connecticut pizza, New York, Boston, it's all, that's the real shit. Um, But yeah, so to quickly answer that, I do think like there's a lot of really good sit down restaurants in LA that do pizza like that is as good as anything you'll get anywhere in the country. It's just not really a New York style. It's more of this like puffy, I think they would call it like a Neapolitan style, just like really trying to replicate the actual, you know, uh, Italian shit is super puffy with all those like sort of dots of like char on the you know so but like a couple places yeah so a couple places I really like Ronin in West Hollywood uh Moza I think is solid everyone always swears by Moza it's fine Osteria La Buca and then Bestia which I think is one of the best restaurants in LA not Bestia big. yeah in downtown just best and then IA Bestia I don't know. Bestia. It's not a very controversial opinion. Like, you know, the last time I was there, like, Gordon Ramsay was walking out of the restaurant. Okay. It's, like, it's just a good restaurant. But, you know, it's not, like, insanely expensive, though. It's just, like, a good Italian, modern kind of, you know, American, whatever. Yeah. So those are good pizza for sit-down. And then for, like, quick over-the-counter, there's a place called, I think it's called Joe's in Hollywood that is, like, pretty, that shit's pretty much the shit that you're going to get on the East Coast, in my opinion. Have you, but have you been there? Joe's. But again, they can't. They won't give you a slice just within thirty seconds of ordering, which is just like insane to me for a place that does that kind of fast style of pizza. But so, how long does it take? Like a couple minutes? Yeah. If if, if I mean, if you knew, yeah, like five or ten. I mean, you're just waiting. Like it was, a, you know, it's just like, well, what's the fucking point then? Just you know, pizza by the slice. But it's not it's by the annoying. slice. But if you're just ordering a bunch of pizzas for a party, I feel like that place is pretty good. And but I could go on and on. I know I I I don't know a lot, but I care a lot about food. My girlfriend knows more than I do about. What's like, your what's favorite food? genre of food? 
we just like sort of like weird, edgy, Americanized takes on uh, Trent. So, I mean, Bestia is sort of the Italian version give of me, that. Give me like a reference of like what that looks like. So like Asian fusion? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's what they would have called. I mean, stuff like that. But it's just better. I don't know. Just like, like I'd, I'd say like these days there's sort of like a co- uh, combination of like trying to really honor like sort of really weird esoteric aspects of the cuisine they're bringing in Mm -hmm. but then still recombine them in a new way you know so it's not just like i don't know we like read a book about asian food for five minutes and then just like mashed it up and like here you go it's like no like this is like this thing that only happens in this one region of like you know taiwan or whatever and it is really popular and we're doing our own version of it but we've slightly elevated or not elevated that's almost like condescending but we've like we've changed it a bit you know with a lot of knowledge so it's like this combination of like incredible ingredients this sort of like rare attention to detail and then usually like you know just some kind of like weird twist on it i would say but i go even deeper on mixed like cocktails and stuff you know i go crazy on cocktails yeah so let me hear Oh Jesus! I mean, I don't even know where to start, but that's like I have like a home bar with like. So 60 I'm going on a date with a young lady tonight. If I want to impress her, what should I hit her with? I mean, I could just list off restaurants. You won't be able to get a reservation though. But you already have a reservation, right? <laughs> yeah, I already got a reservation. Where are you going? Um, it's called the Beach House in Marina. Oh. Yeah, I think I've been there. That's cool. Do you live on the west side? Yeah, I live in Culver. Makes sense. I don't really know what's going on in Venice or Marina del Rey that much, but that's you where know. he lives. Yeah. He's down by the beaches. There's a few good spots there. I think the really good shit is like mostly either in West Hollywood or in like the arts district around downtown LA if you really want. Just mm-hmm. like, and I'm not like someone who's like, I don't like to go to places that are like unnecessarily expensive. I'm really like, you know, they're not cheap, but these are places that are just like good and reasonably priced for what they are that I'm usually like. I'm looking for the type of place that's like, it looks dope, but it's like yeah. mad cheap. I think the best move with that shit is usually just going to be like, like just ethnic food that is like you know it's like there's like a thai town in like east hollywood How's those that? places are not expensive but those are the best thai food you'll get in america really? you know what i mean yeah and like all of k-town pretty much same thing you know uh what do you, what do you get in k-town like korean barbecue i love korean barbecue but there's like other shit you can just like weird places where you can just get only like seafood or only soups or whatever and like you know just you just gotta dig i don't know are you big uh oh god it's okay man Dude, I'm really going through it, man. Don't worry about it. Are you a big uh, Anthony Bourdain fan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he, yeah, he was, and he didn't like invent that, but definitely like there's been a handful of like food critics who, yeah, who've like made their bones like by finding like just like shit that like is already perfect and really good and just not very well appreciated outside Mm -hmm. of the like ethnic community. I just don't think there's a better reality show than his show ever. I've never like really watched it through, but. I've just watched like tons of YouTube clips and stuff. Kitchen Confidential. You ever read it? No. I mean, I like I watched all his interviews on it, so I know what all the highlights were about how they use like a stick of butter in every born. meal and everything. Yeah. He just has like stories about. How I, I surprisingly like, don't like read at all. I'm with you on that. It's like I find it very hard to concentrate. I guess a book like that, I'd probably be able to read, but I don't know. It's only well, so I thought that was mad interesting. You said bef- when you were um, producing your album, you weren't listening to any rap. You were like, just- did I say that? You were like, yo, I don't wasn't listening to anything. I was listening to uh, only orchestral scores. No, I think I think that was more that was more just growing up. That was my experience. I mean, after the Dark Twisted Fantasy thing, I now listen to quite a bit of hip hop and pop music. I but... mean, when you're producing your album, no, okay. Oh well, I don't know. I'm trying to remember where that was. I mean, it's definitely true that like I also don't like. 
like I think maybe what I was saying was that like I listen to music and I like stay up on it as like a job, but I don't really like go home after the session and like put on the new Kendrick album or something because it's just like after ten or twelve hours of just listening to like heavy drums and music and stuff, it's just like not usually a break for me to listen to more of that. Mm-hmm. So a lot it is true that yeah, sometimes if I'm really listening to music for entertainment, which is rare. Like, I really just don't put on music almost ever because I'm, like, trying to listen to music, you know? So how do you unplug? You just, like, close your eyes? Um, Play video games or, like... Get drunk, make cocktails. I'm really into cocktails. I can't emphasize this enough. I go to the theme parks. I'm, I'm huge into theme parks. Really? I'm obsessed with roller coasters. I know, like, <laughs> no that, that and cocktails I have, like, really, really deep, obsessive knowledges about. Those are my two hobbies. All right, quiz. Sure. Biggest roller coaster in New England. In New England, that's a good question. It's no one's that. I mean, it's probably just Superman at New at Six Flags New England, but right? It's no longer Which used, well, it used to be bizarre, but now they changed it back to Superman. It's oh, now really? Superman the ride, yeah. Is and they changed the restraints, red? and they they painted it back. This is something I don't like about Six Flags. Like, you have an iconic ride, like Superman ride of steel, and you're just like, I don't know. Now it's Bizarro. Just like they just needed a rebrand. The, the disrespect to this fucking iconic attraction, and just be like, I, like people won't notice. It's a new ride. When Fuck you're you. when you're on that drop, I hate that oh, shit. Oh god! I fucking love that ride. Good. That was yeah, that was my first really big roller coaster. Right, what's the number two in Six Flags? At New England, height uh, quality wise or height wise? Height wise, no, not height wise. Quality, like what's the second most unquestionable? Well, I think most of the nerds would actually say Superman is now number two, and the number one is this ride called Wicked Cyclone, which is like a retrack of the classic. Uh, New, what was it called the riverside cyclone originally it was a wooden roller coaster okay. and they put like new track on it and now it goes upside down it's just fucking absolute chaos mayhem i, I was gonna say batman the double loop yeah the batman's fine batman the dark knight you talk about the one with the like it's, 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 it's kind of purple yeah. yeah double loop yeah that it, i think that's probably the second tallest I, i'm guessing that's like 10 feet taller than the cyclone i don't really know that's fucking check. fascinating. You love yeah. roller coasters. Oh, I know a lot about it. And I got like all these friends in like the roller coaster nerd community. Like they're all, all the, like YouTubers and shit. And we like, a bunch of them came to my show in New York actually. So did you love Canopy Lake growing up? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it, now I would say it's a, it doesn't really it's have junior. the juice. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but yeah. I mean, that was the closest shit to where I grew up for sure. Yeah. We went all the time. Turkish twist. Yeah. I actually never rode that thing. I've never, and I've never been on one of those Gravitron rides at the carnival either. Just, I can't do this spinning. Someone threw up in the Turkish twist Constantly. while it was going. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that happens like three times a so day. So all the yeah. yak is, oh, my yeah. God. Not my favorite. I don't like the spinning. I like roller coasters. I like big ass drops and hills and like feeling like I'm flying and shit. I don't like to spin around like a fucking washing machine. <laughs> so goaded roller coaster. Uh, I There's one called El Toro at uh, oh, yeah, Six yeah. Flags in uh, New Jersey that's just like, there's only like five or six roller coasters that like, if you just ask any of these fucking roller coaster nerds what their favorite roller coaster is like there's only five or six inches you'll get like it's just kind of there's there's just five or six that everyone agrees the best and that's one of them toro and what are the others there's one called fury 325 at carowinds in north carolina i've never been on it really want to what's it called fury 325 it's 325 feet tall whoa yeah uh there's one called steel vengeance at cedar point which is like the capital of roller coasters in the world basically this is in ohio is there a six flags out here yeah six flags magic mountain how's that it's good. Yeah. I go a lot. I'll probably be there next week. Really? Yeah. That's dope. Dude. Yeah. You, you have a season pass out there? No way. Hey, this is awesome. Is it what awesome? What the fuck? Yeah, you know, I keep that thing on me. Oh, shit. Gold plus. So what, you skip the lines? Uh, I, I, My strategy is generally just to go on weekdays at early in the morning and no one's fucking there. But yeah. No way. So what does that do for you? Just fucking 
get your adrenaline bump and you're out. Yeah, but it's also, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's also like you said, like, how do I blow off steam and shit? It's just like listening to more rap music is not really the way to like not remind me of work. You feel me? Yeah, I hear you. It's like, I like it, but it's just like, it's just not going to be a break. So this is a break. It helps you be more effective. Yeah. This, yeah. And making cocktails. Dope. Yeah. Are you I mean, like, not if it helps me be more effective. It just helps me, like, fucking, you know, survive, I guess. I hear you. But, yeah. Do you ever do, a, like, a, a skydive or anything like that? I skydove twice. Really? i do it again. How was that? The first one, the second time we went, we went, I think, three times higher up than we did on the first one. Where was this? First one was in New Jersey. I think Summit, New Jersey or something. Mm-hmm. And then the second one was in New Zealand. Um, But... um. The first time was really cool, but there's like, have you done it? I haven't. There's like kind of like a a couple different experiences you can have. One version of it would be like, it's so cloudy that basically you don't see anything until the parachute goes up. And then, you know, so you're basically just flying through clouds and it's just like, it's almost like the fact that you're going down is almost not even relevant to the experience. It just feels like you're just just completely divorced from any reality. Yeah. Which is sick. Uh, so that's what happened to me on the first time. The second time, it was a totally clear day, and the entire time you're just staring at the ground as it like approaches. Ah. Yeah, both cool, different experiences. I don't know which one I'd pick. I, I got to do it again. The second one we went higher up too, which was cool. So that was pretty crazy. And then the other kind of issue as a dude is that you are wearing a harness that like if if the shit just isn't right, it's you could get some some, some uh, chafing. Well, just it could be like pulling against your shit in a weird way, and like that really would just kill the whole experience for you, which is what happened the second time. Really, really? <laughs> I mean, it was fun, but it was just like the whole then, way. You're like, ah, oh, well, it's man. like the, the dive is super fast, and you're weightless, I guess. So that part is was good, and then, but then it's really like then the, the parachute pops. I don't know. That's the term, but whatever. There's a thing. They they basically just fucking do it for you. You're strapped to a guy. You know that, right? That's like the first several rides. You like. it was a man. You're just always strapped to a guy, and he does basically everything, so you don't really have to do anything. Uh, but. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, then at some point, you know, it's like a crazy rush of sound and air and all that, and then at some point, the parachute opens, and then it's just dead silence, and you're not moving at all, and then you just kind of float to earth, and that takes like 15 minutes, maybe 20. So, but that's the part where you're like hanging by your balls, and it just kills. Well, the first time I had it, just like the shit was just lined up right, and it was fine. The second time, it just wasn't in a great position. It so, are you like screaming on the way down? It wasn't that bad. It was just like it was just a little bit like I mean, you can't really adjust it because you have nothing to push your leg. Against, you know what well, I mean? What so, was a more uncomfortable? I don't know how everyone else deals with that, but I, I feel like it's an underrated aspect of it, the fact that like that's an issue. You know? Well, yeah, they didn't discuss that in the training. I don't really know. I just, I just, maybe it's like unusual. I just you have a sour taste in your mouth about this experience. It wasn't. Yeah, well, I was sad because I like fucking. It was sick, and we we went up super fucking high, and the dive was amazing. And I was kind of like that, kind of killed. killed <laughs> yeah, that's nothing hilarious. against the country of New Zealand though. Traumatizing pain. Now, no, what... it wasn't like again. It wasn't like fucking ripping. Th- I'm just saying it was like just it was on the side, but it was just on the side <laughs> in a way that I wouldn't have ideally had it. You know what I mean, yeah, it was no, a little bit just not comfortable, and then eventually kind of like okay, let's fucking get out of here. What was a more uncomfortable pain that or like the rush on Biz- on Bizarro when you're dropping? Like wh- no, but that's not pain at all. That's fucking pure joy. No, to me. but you feel it in your nuts. You're like, oh god. Uh, it feels like fucking pure joy to me. Really? Yeah. I mean, initially, I think the first few times I did it probably was like a little bit. That's not pain. It's sort of just like, I don't know, that sort of pit in your stomach. But I, I don't really get it anymore. But I've heard, I've never been at Carowinds and ridden Fury 325, 325-foot roller coaster than, than North Carolina. Yeah. But apparently that's one that I'll still get that feeling on. Because it just, it's just, that drop just goes forever. Apparently. Do you have a show out there coming up? We didn't have one. I mean, the only park we were really able to hit on this tour was 
great adventure, which I've already been to, but it was good to get back there. I met up with a bunch of guys who call themselves the Coaster Idiots. What do you mean? That's just what they call it. They have like a YouTube a channel. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. Yeah, great guys. So and no. they came to my show. So we met up with them and we did that. And I dragged my like tour crew with me and they were just like, for the first half, they were like, yeah, it was pretty fun. And the second half, they're like, dude, you ride a lot of roller coasters. That is just awesome. get on and just like get right back on. You know what I mean? So yeah, uh, that was fun. And then there was a couple areas where we could have maybe hit another park if we had really, if everyone had been as, as hard going as I was, but I was trying to respect the fact that I'm, you know, dragging these people on tour with me. So we, that was the only park we hit. Next you'd, pr- time. you'd probably know the answer to this. How do you, how do they actually get the pieces for the roller coaster into the park and then build it. They just like have 18 wheel trucks. They bring like the beams yeah. and shit or yeah, that's how they they're do doing it. They're building a new one right now at magic mountain. Yeah. They, they just, yeah, they usually ship. I'd say like each one of those trucks, usually they have like maybe four pieces of track or four supports or whatever, you know, so they have a ton I mean, of there's trucks. a standard length to these trucks and a standard width. And you, you just design the layout of the track so that it can be broken up in pieces that, that size. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Tons of them. Yeah. And then they've come in and they kind of all arrive and then they usually just sit in the parking lot for a month or two. And gradually, they just kind of like lift one piece onto a truck, drive it into the park. And what's the what's the turnaround time on getting one of those done? I think the total process. These are great questions, man. I think that <laughs> you're just dead serious. <laughs> well, dude, I've never heard of, about a roller coaster with these. This is sick. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Well, now you have. You probably know them, and they you just don't yeah, know. They yeah, they're quiet about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I usually think of it as like a two-year thing. Like the actual construction process is usually like, depending on the ride, is probably like a you know three to six months. I'd say is like most of the work is being done. Okay. Some of the bigger ones, some maybe nine months or a year, but like, like this ride pretty much went up in, well, I guess I guess it's been about six months. Started pouring concrete, I think like December or some shit, and they probably spent like a year designing it and preparing, you know, and shit, and announce it, and then they'll test it for a month or two after, and so yeah, ends up being like a beginning to end, usually about two years. Can I make an assumption? Mm. Were you a fan of Roller Coaster Tycoon growing up? I have it on my phone right now. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. What about oh. Zoo Tycoon? I never did that. Zoo Tycoon? Yeah. No, it's Build a, a zoo. It doesn't have roller coasters. Well, maybe they did, but not enough. Well, it's like the same I know. builder, same city. But my interest was, it was a purely roller coaster-based interest. Yes, that's a difference between me and you. What I would do is I would yeah. get all the animals in an enclosure, yeah, yeah, yeah. really pack that zoo up, then just yeah. destroy the fences and let those things That's run. awesome. There was, yeah, people do that in Roller Coaster Tycoon, too. You can, like, have, like, a ride that, like, is positioned over water, and then the guests all die and shit. Or, like, or you got a ride that crashes and explodes in a flame. Like, you know. Now everyone's wondering why our fucking generation is so fucking I didn't do that. Well, I mean, occasionally I did. But for the most part, I was trying to build great theme parks. Great experience. I was actually really, I was more interested in trying to replicate the real-life parks. That was more of my interest, was kind of just copying it exactly in the game. Now, where's the biggest in the world? Is it, like, Dubai? Uh, the fastest in the world, I fucking forget. There's, there's two that are, I forget which one is the fastest one. There's one in, there's one in like, it's either Dubai or Abu Dhabi. Some shit like that, yeah. It's like a launch that's just got the fastest. Uh, and then there's one that, I think that's the fastest. I think it's called like, what the, f- it's like a Ferrari themed park. What? I forget. You guys mind looking that up? Thank you, man. I think it's in Abu Dhabi. It's all white. I think it's Ferrari themed. It's not. There's there's another ride in the same park. I think called Flying Aces. I just forget what the name of this one is. Fastest roller coaster in the world. The tallest is in New Jersey. It's King Ka. Oh yeah, I've heard of it. It wasn't open the other day when we went. Formula Rosa. Yeah, yeah. Where is that? Because the Rosa is red. It's like the Abu it's, Dhabi. It's like red because Ferrari. Like they have like a red thing. Okay, where? Yeah. I got it right. I think it's like a 140. Right? Is that what it goes up to? 149 that's pretty fast is for you is it are water parks fun too or i i think about i mean i don't really go to them water country 
I remember the ads and the song. Water country, country have water, some fun. fun. Yeah. Actually, I think you got it. I think it's two well, water it countries. It does. It's two water countries. That's fine. Though. <laughs> um, never went. Did I go? It was, it was always more about the rides. I mean, it's always just something about the sort of like the water that everybody's been fucking in. <laughs> it's so nasty, like, bro. Kid piss and shit. It's not really my. I just had a nice band aid floating in my mouth one time. I was like, oh, no, God. No. Yeah. So, not, not really. I'm good on those. So, out here. So, like, um, out here, if you can't get your rocks off doing any of that roller coaster, what else are you doing? You going hikes and stuff? No, I make cocktails with my friends and like, or I go to cocktail bars and I'm I'm like a connoisseur of nice fucking cocktails and I make I have like a home bar with like sixty five bottles in it and I'll be like mixing shit. Oh shit! Get on Zoom with another friend and be like, Yo, I got this new thing and he gets it too and then we're like, Wow, it tastes pretty good with this. Not so good with this. What if we did this? Oh shit, that's crazy. You know, and just do this for like four hours. I haven't seen that on your TikTok ever. Or do you put that type of stuff? I used up? to do a bit of it. You can if you look at my YouTube and go back. There's a lot of that shit, but. Yeah, not as much. I mean, I mentioned it in the mini sort of film about my life, but yeah, I mean, it shows up on my IG stories a decent amount, but yeah, it is funny. Like, I like tweet a lot about a lot of different things. I know. Nothing awesome. engages worse than that shit. No one knows what the fuck I'm talking about. There's, there's zero overlap in interest between the people who know about that shit and the people that follow me. So I just like, I sort of, I just keep it to myself. I guess. If, if you're having a conversation with someone, What's one drink that would tip you off that they're actually pretty knowledgeable when it comes to cocktails? Great question. I mean, there's a range. I actually made a whole system for this of of of, of like levels of interest in cocktails, one through four. I got really me and my friend kind of came up with it, but it was mostly me. Yeah, it's awesome, is it? And uh, so yeah, I mean, there's different levels. You want to hear about it, please? How long does this go for, by the way? Probably got like eight minutes left oh geez all right i'll be quick then so the level one is basically just like they don't do cocktails this is like kind of like every club and and most people it's like you can get liquor and you can mix like liquor with like orange juice or ginger ale but that's not a cocktail there's just no concept of like a mixed mixing different types of alcohol together okay that's the level one that's most people level two is like basically they know like they know drinks that exist on a list it's like these are the drinks you're supposed to know a manhattan a martini cosmo a cosmo you know and there's like the lemon drop and like the, you know they have like recipes and you actually have to have the right shit to make them but they're basically just making this shit according to a recipe and there's just a list of drinks that everyone knows exists and that's what we're after is just like i'm able to order something that they've heard that's like an airport bar that, that they'll be able to hit that airport mark you know because they know someone's going to ask for a certain thing 99 times out of 100 they'll have it because there's not that many things people ask for but they are cocktails got it uh three and if yeah so if you like if you have an opinion on a martini where's like, the moscow mule in this is that like a that would be like a two yeah so i'm like probably a two that's cool and I, and like a martini you know like if you're there's like different levels like i don't really care about the levels like i've gotten so fucking deep with this that i just like i'm now just like over it but it's like yeah if, i would say like if you have an opinion about how your martini is made then i would say like you're probably in there somewhere you know uh as a, the, the, as a two no okay yeah so what's a three i thought you'd be like the high level two at the low level two you'd be like getting a fucking you know cosmo no okay. offense to people that get cosmos okay so then the three is like that's where you're now like the the restaurant or bar like or the person like basically they're making stuff that like hasn't 
actually ever been made before, but it's always usually pretty much based off of stuff from the two. It's just like they now they've like infused their bourbon with like bacon or they like oh, yeah. added like some fucking other weird shit that like sounds interesting, but is like more or less like a cosmetic addition to the level two. But they're trying. They want like you know, gold flakes on it or some shit like that. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, like presentation stuff where the thing's on fire. Like that's you start to see that more at the at the level three level, I'd say. And like there'd also be stuff like there's more ingredients you'd see. Like like a level three bar will have chartreuse, which is an ingredient from France that okay. I like a lot. You what just, is it? An airport bar won't have chartreuse. Uh it's like it's made by monks and it's extremely just herbal and extremely alcoholic and it just tastes it's like very like grassy and bright oh, it's a and type sort of, of like it's a liqueur, liqueur technically yeah but yeah which is a type of booze yeah so that shit uh you know that goes into some other classics that i just wouldn't expect the level two bar to have it'd be like a level three you know it's like it's just a little weirder there's no classic cocktail that you'd really expect anyone to know that has that in it but it is a fucking great ingredient and a lot of more obscure drinks use it and then what's god level God level is like you're mixing shit that I where I cannot point to how this is just a rip off of something else that I've already seen before that that you're fundamentally trying to rethink. You're not just like, well, they've been making Manhattans for 100 years and I thought I'd put a little twist on it. It's like, no, we are just completely rethinking like what these ingredients can do together. I think that the four the level four bars tend to focus more on. This is the most pretentious thing I think I've ever said just this entire <laughs> rant, but I'm, I'm no, I've never said it. So here we are. <laughs> The level four bar, <laughs> I think that they, they would really focus on, like, knowledge of ingredients that are, like, not that hard to find. Like, a good liquor store will have all the shit you would need to make, and it's really just about, like, there's something called Pisco. It's like a brandy from uh, Peru. There's a classic called the Pisco Sour. A level two bar should be able to make that, certainly level three, you know? But no one ever makes anything else with it. Why? So I'm looking for, like, who's, who's figured out what that shit actually can do and isn't just like, well, we made a Pisco sour, but we added, like, this one thing. It's like, no. What if it was, like, Pisco and, like, fucking, like, rum from Martinique with okay. a blend and then, like, a little bit of cognac and then, like, a little... Aged cognac. Yeah, sure. Or But I, I'm, I'm honestly even more impressed when they use cheap shit to do, the, you know, because it's, it's the point is about creativity. It's just like, how much are you really just thinking about what can you do with this stuff? And, like, the most impressive shit... And like me and my me and my friends get with it with the level four shit that I think of is like if you can actually then come up with drinks that you can get at the airport bar that will just like fucking blow their mind and yours using only the shit that they have there, because that means you've really like you're really thinking about what this shit can do. You know, you're really you're not like reliant on like well they don't have the like buttermilk whatever blah blah blah. It's like you know they don't have the fucking infused this. It's like well great like even better if they can fuck if you can make something great with just the shit they have at an airport bar. Where in LA would you go to get a level four God level cocktail? Uh, there's not that many. I mean, there's the, me and my girlfriend like run around town and try to find these places. And, and what happens sometimes is there's a lot of restaurants and bars that have a really like to me like a level four menu, but like then you have the menu and like you don't really need to go back for a year until they change the menu because you've tasted the shit and like and unless it's like mind blowing, you know. But have you had um, an experience where you showed up and you were like, yeah, what was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but, but what I'm saying is like, so our ideal experience is we like go to a place where the bartender is someone who is just trying to get weird with us on the spot and ideally you go on a night when it's not so busy that they're like not you know just completely overwhelmed with just getting orders out and and we're kind of you know we get a couple things off the menu and then we're like hey you want it and they call it like dealer's choice sometimes but just like you want you want what if you just make something with that and that and you figure out the rest you know and like try to send them on a really fucking weird route to just get something you never tasted before you know and 
the two places that we've had the best luck with that that haven't closed, because a lot of these places go out of business, especially in LA, uh, are a restaurant called Thunderbolt on the east side, which just everything they do is always fucking innovative and amazing, and they're super chill, and it's not that well-known. They have great food, too. Thunderbolt. It's in Echo Park, yeah. And then, but it's not like, they're not like pretentious, like, you know? The shit is just very, very, very good. They they're know what the fuck they're doing, but, up, they're, but they're not. Yeah, they're not like making a big show of it. But I'm saying even the menu there, if you just go there and try anything off the menu, and they change it pretty uh, uh, frequently, like that shit's really good. And then there's another spot on the on the west side, sort of West Hollywood, um, called Blue Collar, which doesn't even have a menu, and it's one of those places where you just have to tell them what you want, and they'll just give it to you. And most people go in there and just like order a margarita, and they just like don't know that they can even get weird. But they can get very weird, and if you go in there and start pulling the shit, though, yeah. So, so those are my two favorites: Thunderbolt and Blue Collar. Okay, so but, just... but 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 again, these are like I mean, I should almost be recommending like level three bars because it's like there's no point in like I'm I'm talking about an experience that isn't even really interesting unless you know what you're looking for, kind of thing. I'm just saying, like, so if I want to like impress blow someone's socks off, well, yeah. not even this girl, but what is it like? What was Pisces? What was the name of it? The ingredient I was talking about? No, you had chartreuse. Yeah, I was talking about pisco. Pisco. It looks like Pisco. Okay, so Pisco is like a, a keyword. It's an ingredient. It's no, it's just a fucking, oh, you just want to ask for stuff? No, I'm just saying it sounds sick. I say, yo, but I'm just you got saying like, Yeah, sure. I'm just saying like, I've just gotten so deep with this that like I'm now doing stuff where like the only purpose of this, and this is why I'm not going to publish this list of my, you know, <laughs> it's like my standards for what I look for. But like my experience at the level four level is just like, I'm always going to be having like a pretty deep conversation with this bartender about what's going on in this drink and shit. Have you found like you're the, not going to get anywhere by being like, can I get you know you can get a piece of sour? It's a classic drink. You should get it. Have you found like the Goliath to your David in the cocktail world? Someone who's like, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Yeah, well, what I didn't get into is there's this thing called amaro, which is a ingredient. It's like bitter Italian liqueurs, but they can come from other places too. And I've, this is the thing that I'm most obsessed with, and I've had more than 200 of these, and I keep a spreadsheet of all the ones I've had and what they tasted like and <laughs> That's shit. That's awesome. Yeah, and so that's the shit that I'm like probably the most, the single thing I'm most knowledgeable about. And I, I've, I've met a couple. There's a couple bars that just cater only to fans of this shit. There's one in Chicago called Billy Sunday. There's one in New York called Amor y Amargo, and they have people there that 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 go as as hard as I do. Sometimes harder. Or sometimes it's like harder and different. Like we have, you know, I know some stuff they don't. They know some stuff I don't. And that that's the best. Cocktail Illuminati. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, we do have to wrap up, but yeah. um, did, is there anything you want to promo? I can, I can cut a clip up pretty easily. Definitely the album. Talk about the album. I really, to everyone, I really enjoyed the album. If you're looking for like a cohesive project, which is really hard to find nowadays in mainstream music, Johan's album definitely did that for me. It was like a streamline all the way through. There's a consistent message all the way through. And there's definitely excerpts of his life where you're like, damn, I, I'm kind of starting to understand that, dude. Thank you. Sure. My album, What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Up? It's just the first letter of each of those words is the title. What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Up? Um, is out now featuring 070 Shake, Lancey Foe, Aunt Clemens, Mr. Hudson, Rumor, and more. And your girlfriend. And my girlfriend and the Brooklyn Youth Choir or Chorus uh, singing on the first song. And um, yeah, I, I'm going to be putting out more stuff soon, but just run that album up. Let me know what you think and come see me if you're in L.A. I know this probably won't be up this week anyway. So uh, I'll probably have just finished this run of shows with 070 Shake uh, in L.A., but I'm going to be hopefully doing more touring soon. So follow me and come see a show. And definitely follow him on Twitter. Sure classic I Twitter. <laughs> I, I 
I'd be tweeting. Um, all right. This is how we start and end the show. I'm going to say it once, but I think you're going to get it down. Every guest does it. So you have to say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Okay. You got it? Yeah. All right, brethren. Hi, I'm Johan Lennox, and this is my golden hour. Hi, I'm Johan Lennox, and that was my golden hour. Well executed. Thank you. Professional. Yeah, dude, thank you. We went really into the weeds on some shit that I don't usually get to talk about. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter.